Well, one of the biggest fights that my wife and I ever had was over an entryway mirror. We had this beautiful brush nickel mirror, we still have it, and we wanted to hang it in our entryway in the house we owned in Minnesota many years back. Now, not only was this mirror going to be practical in its use, we'd be able to check ourselves out before we headed into our car or to a place of work, and I like to check myself out, I don't know about you, I'm just kidding, I don't. <laughs> uh, but also, like, it was a really beautiful piece in our entryway. We had this really spacious entryway, and so my wife had picked up this spot, and she's like, I want you to, uh, to hang it. Now, um, to hang it perfectly even, though, was going to be tricky because it didn't have, like, one of those cables in the back. It didn't have this one thing that you were going to hang it from. It had two little, little uh, hook, eye hook things on the back side, and they weren't necessarily at the same spot on the side of the, yeah, you see how difficult this could be. We had really high ceilings too, and so I spent, I don't even know, a couple of hours like measuring, doing math, make sure that whatever screws I put in the wall were in the perfect place so when I hung the mirror, it would be perfectly level on the wall. And so I spent all of this time and I did it and I hung it there and then I took my little level and I placed it and it was perfectly level. The little bubble right between the two lines, nailed it. And I just stood there in awe of my accomplishment, right? Like, look at this. Look at my handiwork. Look at the time that I spent to make sure this would be perfectly level. I could have just, you know, guessed. I could have maybe just eyeballed it. Would have been terrible. I didn't. I spent good time making this happen. So I called my wife. I was like, this, she's going to be so impressed. Like, she's going to just love this. And I said, you got to come see this. And as she stood in the entryway, and she looked at the mirror, the first thing out of her mouth was, it's not level. <laughs> now, I sort of snickered, like, what are you talking about? And I put the level up there, and I was like, look, the bubbles right between the two lines. It's right in the middle. But it did not convince her. She said, I don't care what the level says. That is crooked. Just look at it. That is crooked. So I looked. And then I looked again, and then I put the level back on the mirror, and then I said something, of which I don't remember exactly, but what I do remember is that whatever I said ignited a heated argument over this mirror. So much so that we had to like go to our respective corners, maybe you've done that in marriage before, you're like, we need a break, you know, time out here, and then we finally came back and we came to the conclusion that even though the level said it was level, Kristen believed it still to be crooked, and she would just have to live with it. Now, I do realize that I'm only telling my side of this story, okay? In fact, I mentioned to my, my wife this morning that uh, I, the mirror is now in, like, our front room. And I said, hey, Kristen, I'm going to be talking about that mirror this morning. And she gave me the dirtiest look. <laughs> She's like, why? <laughs> it's still a little bit you know, a point of contention in our home. I know I'm only telling my side of this story, but guess what? I'm preaching today, and so that's what you get to hear, right? Now, as a result of this, here's a couple things you should know. If, um, if I walk through our house, or if my wife walks through our house, you will notice, or if you walk through our house, you'll notice that everything on our walls is perfectly level, right? Like, Everything from picture frames to mirrors, it's all level. And if it isn't, usually one of us, probably my wife, is very quick 
to fix it. On a side note, if I come to your home, or if my wife comes to your home, and we notice something is crooked, you may find us gently nudging level. And for that, I say, you're welcome. Okay? You're very welcome. There is, some, there is something, listen, there is something about things being level in the world that is really appealing, isn't there? In fact, we will often avoid something that is uneven or crooked. We will avoid it at all costs. When, when I go running in my neighborhood, I, I often run on the street because the sidewalks have driveways cut into them. And if you have to run on uneven ground every 15 feet, not only does it affect your running pattern, but it can actually cause injury. And so I have to run on the, side, on, on the street so that it's a flat, level, even surface. When we drive our cars, we will intentionally avoid areas that are uneven or rough or have potholes. When we ride in a boat, right, or a ship, and the waters are level and calm, the trip is enjoyable. But when those waters get crooked and uneven and choppy, we'll either avoid going out on the water or we will despise being on that boat. When we walk down a hallway and the pictures on the wall are crooked and uneven, if you're a sane person, you will fix them, right? And if you're insane, I guess you'll just walk by them. I don't know. But if you're a sane person, you'll fix them because instinctually, we like things to be level and even. We want them to be visually appealing. We want to be able to walk at peace and without having to watch our footsteps every time we take a step. Now today, we're re-entering the book of Acts. We took a bit of a hiatus from the book of Acts during the Christmas season, which was super fun, was it not? Classic Rock Christmas, if you were here, if you weren't here, sorry, you can't catch up on that one. Uh, but it was super fun, but we're back in the book of Acts uh, if you're new with us today, we've been going through this book for more than a year now, and uh, we are actually only in chapter 10, so we're going to be getting a little further down the road, but that's all right. It's, you know, like we're going to just walk through and see what God has to say to us each and every week. So we're walking into the book of Acts, and as we do, we're going to see that that desire for things being level in life is not just a physical desire but it's actually a spiritual desire for us as well. So with that in mind, if you have your phone with you and you want to open up the YouVersion app, you can follow along with everything I'm going to read today, all the passages. You can take notes in there if you want to and go back to them. If you have groups or if you have a group coming up that you're in, uh, this is a great tool because you can take notes. And if we're talking about the sermon, you can go back to it and look at it and see kind of things that you thought about as we were going through this message. Just go to more and events and you should be able to find it there. If you are going analog today, if your Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10. So we have been on a little hiatus, so let me just kind of remind us where we've been up to this point in Acts chapter 10. During the first part of the chapter, we learned that of this vision that the Apostle Peter, one of the first leaders of the church in the first century, has, and the, the encounter that his counterpart in the story, Cornelius, who is a Roman centurion, he's a leader in the Roman uh, Empire, part of the Italian regiment of the Roman Empire, that this encounter that he has with this angel. So Peter has this vision, Cornelius has this encounter with this angel, and gets this message, and both of the vision and the angelic encounter cause Peter and Cornelius to come together, brings them together. Now, at this point, Cornelius, this Roman centurion, who has some thoughts and curiosity about God, is just wondering why 
he went and got Peter in the first place. The angel didn't tell him. He just said, go get Peter and bring him to me. Now, meanwhile, Peter's worldview, because of this vision that he has, has been completely changed. And its meaning for the mission of the church and for people has completely changed the world. Right? And we'll get to what that vision is here in a second. But let's just start to read Acts chapter 10, verse 34 through 36. Remember, Peter and Cornelius now are together, and now they're speaking with each other for the first time. Verse 34, it says, Then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ. He's Lord of all. Let's stop there. The vision Peter had earlier in Acts chapter 10 was one that showed him the dietary laws of the Old Testament had been repealed because of what Jesus had done. Now, in the book of Leviticus, which is one of the first five books of the Bible, it contains many of the rules and laws that those who are Jewish follow, even continuous, even continued into the 21st you know, century as well. The Jewish people had dietary laws inside of Leviticus that told them you can eat these things, but you can't eat these things, right? They needed to have a kosher diet, as we refer to it now. Now, this was intentional by God. It was a way of uh, you know, helping them to be considered separate from the rest of the nations in the world. It was a, a way for them to be an example as a people called out by God to be an example of his holiness to all of those in the rest of the world. But now, because of Jesus, all of these barriers are being broken. And access is being granted, not only to those who are Jewish, but to those who are Gentiles, non-Jewish, as well. All people, regardless of their diets, or their backgrounds, or their lifestyles, are now being invited into this new life with Jesus Christ. When a person places their faith in Jesus, they find new life in him. So Peter has this vision, all this stuff. I mean, this is blowing his mind. Remember, being Jewish was less about being religious for someone in the first century, and it was more about being an identity marker. This is who Peter is. And God is saying to you, I'm changing some of this. Your identity is moving from being solely Jewish being a member of my family, the kingdom of God. And so Peter is confounded as he may buy all this, and he's finally starting to see what God is really up to in the first century, including the acceptance and salvation of a Roman centurion named Cornelius, which is where we pick it up in verse 37. Peter goes on here. He says, you know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began teaching his message of baptism? And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all that he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not just to the general public, but to those who God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, and he ordered us to preach everywhere, 
and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about. In all of the New Testament, all of these statements by guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Obadiah, all these people, they talk, talking about this one to come, this anointed one, this Messiah. Peter says he, Jesus, the one, all of those we're talking about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. So Cornelius goes and he gets Peter, and he's still wondering, why are you here? And then Peter tells him. Peter tells him this message that Cornelius is anxiously waiting for. The angel that appeared to Peter told him, or excuse me, to Cornelius told him to go get Peter and listen to what he said. And so Peter says, Cornelius, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the anointed one. He's the Messiah of the entire world. And anyone I've learned, anyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven and receive new and eternal life. Now you might wonder what the reaction of Cornelius and his friends might be. This isn't really, they don't really know what's coming. They aren't sure what they're about to hear. I mean, maybe they would be like, hmm, that's really interesting. I, I, you know, I've heard that through the grapevine, but I didn't know uh, much. But, you know, maybe give us a few minutes. We'll just kind of talk about this a little bit, figure out what we think is true, what maybe we just don't think. Maybe their reaction would be like, dude, you're crazy, Peter. Right? Get out of here. What in the world? Why did we bring you here? But that's not what the reaction is. Verse 44. Even as Peter is saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles too. For her they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Even as Peter, he hasn't even finished talking, it says. The Holy Spirit fills these men, and in that moment, their lives are changed forever. They experience exactly what God has been showing Peter. The barriers are broken, access has been granted, and the Gentiles, all people, Jewish, non-Jewish, are welcome into the family of God. They begin to speak in tongues, it says, which can sometimes be a sign of the Holy Spirit filling a person. And the Jewish believers that are with Peter, they just, they can't get their head around this. I mean, wasn't this message of Jesus for the Jewish people? I mean, isn't he the Messiah for those of us who are Jewish? How are these Gentiles? No, 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 no. How are these Romans filled with the Spirit in the same manner as the rest of us? Even Peter is a little shocked by what is happening here. Yet there is no denying for him what is occurring right before his eyes. Look what he says, verse 46. It says, then Peter asked to his friends, are you watching this? Can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? That's their next step. They believe that the Spirit's filled them. We need to dunk them in some water. Like, anybody object to that? You're watching this. I'm watching this. So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And after a while, afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. 
Right there on the spot. I don't know where they baptized him, by the way. I mean, maybe it was in his bathtub. I have no idea. Like, well, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. That's not what's important here. The baptized, they, they go through this process of taking that inward commitment that they now receive and being laid, uh, laid into the water as a symbol of them putting to death that old life, that sinful death, and coming up out of the water, raised to new life, which, by the way, we're going to be doing here in a couple weeks. Keep that in mind. <laughs> if you've never done that before, there's going to be an opportunity for you to do that. But they just go right for it. I mean, I can only imagine what must have been going through Peter's mind when he went to bed that night. Reflecting on all that had happened in the past few days, he must have been rethinking what he first said when he spoke to Cornelius. I mean, his mind is being completely blown. He must keep going back to those words that he spoke in verse 34 through 36, where he says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism in every nation, including Rome. He accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of the good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter's convinced. As he goes to bed that night, after having this life-changing realization, I can only imagine a thought that maybe aren't the, right, the same words that he would put in here, but he's realizing the ground is level in God's world. Prior to Jesus, the consensus among the Jewish people was that they were God's favorites. They were the favored among all people. Everyone else, they're an enemy of God. They're our enemies. We look down on them. We stay away from them. In addition, it was also the consensus that God only accepted those who were fully Jewish, for men to be fully circumcised, for all people, Jewish people, to follow the law as it was instructed in the Old Testament. That was the only way to access God through sacrificial or sacrifice through following the law. And then finally, it was the consensus that peace would only come to the Jewish people when the Messiah came. That he would finally elevate them to their proper place in history and see, be seen as the most favored people in the world. This was not the plan. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection didn't elevate the Jewish people to a place above all others. It didn't even elevate Jewish Christians above all others. Instead, it levels the ground his kingdom is built upon. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus taught and demonstrated that all people are equal and equal standing with God when they choose to follow Jesus. When the person places their faith in Jesus, they stand on level ground in God's kingdom. And this, by the way, is why the good person theory of salvation does not work. The theory essentially states that if I live a halfway decent good life, then God will have to accept me because of how much better I've been than other people. But this is a crooked, uneven understanding of God's kingdom. The ground of the kingdom of God doesn't have the undulating topography. It's level, perfectly level. And the only way to access that ground is not through our good works or trying to upend other people or end around other people or 
will be better than other people, but it's only through faith in Jesus, no matter who you are, what you've done, or where you've been. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good Jesus is. Because of that, the ground is level in God's kingdom. And I just want to say amen to that. Because if if God accepting and loving me is based on how good I am, man, am I a sorry man. I am am screwed. (laughs) But the level, the ground of God's kingdom is level, he says. There's no hierarchy to this. The, the only way that we access it, to, and it's an open invitation, is just to simply place our faith in Jesus. And when we do that, we get to experience the level ground of God's kingdom. You know, your goodness, listen to me, your goodness in this life, whether you are, you know, a Christ follower or not. And listen, being good is not a bad thing. I'm not telling you to go out and be a, a jerk to everybody. I'm just saying it is not what will bring you closer to God. Your goodness will get you no closer to God's kingdom than trying to hit a star with a shotgun. It's only faith in Jesus that brings you closer to God. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about all this pretty bluntly, as he often does in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 3, he says, well then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? Should we conclude that we Republicans are better than others? Should we conclude that we Democrats are better than others? Middle class, suburban dwellers? Name name, name it, right? No, not at all, for we've already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. They're all there. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one's truly wise. No one's seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. God chose no favoritism. We're all in the same boat. <laughs> We're all in the same boat apart from Jesus. Paul said, look, Jewish people, you think you're better than everybody else. But it, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. When we are with Jesus, when we place our faith in Jesus, that is the only time and the only way we can experience the level ground of God's kingdom. So, what does this mean for us? Well, I think it means a few things. And first, because the ground is level in God's kingdom, that when we come to faith in who God is, when we see who God is and what he has done, it should first influence how we view God. The fact that God shows no favoritism should come as great exciting news to us, right? It reveals that God isn't some angry tyrant in the sky who likes only those who look a certain way or vote a certain way or live a certain way or have a certain income. It means that his his kingdom is open to all people, Jew or Gentile, male or female, to experience the new life available in Jesus. It also shows us That God isn't expecting people to clean up their act to access him. That is a hopeless cause. Don't even try. It doesn't work. The only requirement, he says, for standing on the level ground of his kingdom is to believe in and follow his son, Jesus. Being good is great and all, but it won't grant you access to the power of life found in God's kingdom. It won't do it. 
only a commitment to and a love for Jesus will do that. And finally, because the level, the ground is level in God's kingdom, it shows us what God is all about. God isn't about running us ragged in an effort to test us or get something from us. Listen, God doesn't need anything from you. He only wants things for you. God is only about one thing for you and me. Granting us peace. He wants you to experience peace in your life. He's offering you rest for your hearts, your souls, your minds, your bodies. God is all about granting peace to those who choose to stand on the level ground of his kingdom. It should change how we view God. Secondly, because the ground is level in God's kingdom, it should influence how we view others. Galatians chapter 3 Verses 26 through 28 says, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul says, Those who are standing on the level ground of God's kingdom are all one. We are equal standing with God. No one is more important than another. None of us are better than someone else. Now, we may have different callings. We may have different responsibilities within God's kingdom, but we are all on level ground when it comes to his love and his favor for us. And that should influence how we treat each other. It should influence how we love each other within God's kingdom. It should influence that. And this is why so often in the New Testament, we're called to love each other well in the church. We're all on level ground. No, nobody's more important. Nobody's more wrong. Nobody's less wrong. This doesn't show any favoritism. Regardless of our standing or position in this world, we're, we're to live as equals before God, loving each other as God has loved us and being generous with one another. In the same way, God has been generous to us. You know, periodically in the New Testament, uh, both in the book of Acts and also in some of his letters in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul has to get in the faces of certain leaders and communities because the ground in their church gets crooked. Some people become favored. They become treated better. And this is probably... Paul's biggest pet peeve, and he has no tolerance for it, and nor should we. He is quick to address this, maybe more so than just about anything else, no matter even why it may be occurring. And listen, when we understand that we've been given the gift of standing on the level ground of God's kingdom, it should learn, teach us to love each other well, but it also should feel compassion in us for those who are still walking on the uneven, crooked ground of the world. It should feel compassion in us when we see our friends or family members or co-workers or neighbors struggling through their way in this world, through favoritism and cynicism and unequal nature of the world. It should spur us to invite them to the church that they too might experience the level ground of God's kingdom. Where peace can be found, where forgiveness can be granted, 
where rest is assured. To observe a community of people who have chosen to stand on the level ground of God's kingdom, no matter how hard it might be at times, and to tell them, you're invited too. It doesn't show favorites. You're invited too. And finally, because the ground is level in God's kingdom, it should influence how we view ourselves. You know, I think the greatest hindrance to us living in and experiencing this level ground of God's kingdom is our own pride. Our pride and our arrogance will keep us on the uneven ground of the world for far too long. Thinking, oh, I can just climb the ladder, I can just move up a level, or I can just, I'm not as bad as those people, I'm better than them. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And yet we hold on to that pride, and because of it, we will never experience that peace, the salvation that we have been, we have full access to through Jesus until we fully understand that we need him. We need a Savior, as Paul says in Romans 3. We've all sinned. Look, here's the thing. When it comes to our spiritual lives, the ground is level in the kingdom of God, but it's actually pretty level in the world too. We're all kind of in the same place. No one's any better than the other. It's just this grants chaos and stress and anxiety and, you know, eventual eternal death. And this grants peace and forgiveness and eternal life. None of us are perfect. None of us. Not even you. I promise. No, we may do good things in this world. They will never account for the sin in our lives. We're rebellious. And so how we view ourselves in light of, of what Peter talks about in Acts 10 is vital. If we view ourselves as really good people who just need to work a little harder and be a little better, we will never experience the level ground of God's kingdom. You will end your life exhausted and without hope. Instead, we have this opportunity to enter into this new way of living on the level ground of God's kingdom. And it should change how we view ourselves. That we realize, like, man, I have I've fallen short. I have, I have sinned. I have rebelled. And yet there's a God that comes to me and invites me the level ground of God's kingdom and that should humble me and be, lead me to praise, right? Where we sing, look, I'm not dead. There must be greater things for you to do in my heart. That there's humility in that. Set my pride away. God, have your way with me that I might experience the fullness of what it means to walk on the level ground of God's kingdom. This is what Paul says. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, he says this. Don't think you're better than you really are. Did somebody just say what? <laughs> Don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Paul said, look, pride will keep you from experiencing the level ground of God's kingdom. So just let it go. Be honest. Be, be honest. It's okay. God still loves you. In fact, he, he can pursue you in a way that he can't if you're filled with pride. You know, when we see the, the ground is level, 
into God's kingdom, it, it changes how we view ourselves, sinners in need of a Savior, grateful people worshiping a gracious God, loving people who see that they were first loved by Him. And I'm here to tell you, you may be standing on the uneven ground of the world right now. And it is crooked, and it is arduous, and it is hard. And it may seem that every step you take is harder than the last one. You may realize that for all of the good you've done, it really hasn't amounted to a whole lot. You may realize that no matter how hard you try, nothing can seem to satisfy that, that desperate, nagging need for redemption, grace, and love that you have. And so if that's you, I want to show you God's kingdom, my crucial co-workers. Because it's there that the ground is level. That in, God invites all people. This is, there's no favorites, is it? You're my favorite. And so are you, and so are you, and so are you. That's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. He doesn't show favoritism. He pursues all of us equally with love. It's a place where we learn in Acts chapter 10 that the barriers have been broken, that access has been granted, where through Jesus, you, yes, you, have full access to the redemption, grace, and love of God. It is a place, God's kingdom, where you are accepted as you are to be who you are not yet. Where regardless of where you've been or what you've done or who you've become, that all of that is secondary to where God wants to bring you, the new things he wants to accomplish in you, and the person he wants to shape you into. It is a place, the kingdom of God, where the ground is level, where favoritism takes a backseat to equality, where being good is replaced by simple belief, and chaos is eliminated by the peace of God that transcends all understanding. I think better lived on level ground, isn't it? We know that in our physical world, when we drive and when we walk and when we run things, and we build houses. <laughs> and it is true in our spiritual world as well. All of us in this room are desperate for level ground in our spiritual lives. And for Jesus, it's just being offered. It's being offered. So this week, when the ground in your world gets a little crooked and it gets a little uneven, just remember that the ground in God's kingdom is level. It is fully accessible to you at any moment that you choose. Let that influence how you view God, how you view others and how you view yourself. Let's pray. Oh God, how grateful I am this morning that through Jesus we have full access to the level ground of your kingdom. That when we choose to fear you, to respect and revere you, to give our lives to you, to do the right thing by placing our faith in you, that you Take the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11 when he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy and burdened, and I will give you rest. Not just words, but become the reality of your life. That all of the striving to be better, to be more successful, to get our act, that don't just become secondary to experiencing the love and peace and grace and redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. So I pray
Holy Spirit would fall upon those people, that their hearts would be changed, that their minds would be convinced, that they would place their faith in you, that they would experience for the first time what it's like to walk on the level ground as Lord of Jesus. They would experience peace in their soul and rest in their hearts. The Bible says that confess with our minds we believe in our hearts that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior. God invites us, grants us, invites us full access to this So this morning, if that's you, if you're, you're standing on the edge, I invite you to accept this invitation. For all of us, that this truth, ground is right in your hand, and you remind us of who you are, who and how we love other people. And who we are individually in this community. You spur us on to live the life that you've called us to live here, that we experience the fullness of your kingdom here on earth, now and always. Thank you, Jesus. The great equalizer. You live the life we could never live without sin, always. Died to death that we all deserve. We all, we're all going to experience physical death someday, but through his physical death, he changed the narrative of what happens beyond that. And that we're forgiven, that we are invited into your kingdom, that we stand on level ground with you, that so level is that ground that we stand in equality with him. Heirs now to the throne. That he rose again three days later, promising that he has defeated sin, sin, and death, that we now can walk in eternal life that starts today. New life today, all the way.